0: Welcome to the Illuminated Word podcast. In this podcast, we take a reading from Scripture each day. We look at the background material to that passage and also application for us. Once again, welcome to the Illuminated Word podcast. Welcome to the Illuminated Word. My name is Devin Morris, and today our text is Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. I'll read our text, and then we can look at it a bit closer. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephletai. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest." Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Right off the bat, you probably picked up, this is uh, undoubtedly a messianic text, but there is context to it. Um, So let's look at a bit of our context. And lastly, because those last two verses really point towards Messiah, we'll focus our our time there. Uh, We can see, first off, we get some proper names. Zebulun, Nephletai, Jordan, Galilee, Midian. So it is situated with a very specific historical context. You're supposed to be thinking of something specific. Um, Zebulun and Nephletai are two of the 12 tribes of Israel. If you don't remember exactly where those are, that's okay. I usually can't remember them either. But if you go to Joshua chapter 19, you get the layout of uh, where these different tribes were situated. The territory of Zebulun was west of the Sea of Galilee, according to Joshua 19:10 through 16. The territory of Naphtali was north of Zebulun, Joshua 19:32 through 39. And these two areas were the first to fall when the Assyrian army attacked and a vast number of the inhabitants became prisoners to Assyria. Uh, the foreigners along the coast, which we get from our text, uh, refers to former Zebulun. The country across the River Jordan refers to former Nephletai. Uh, so it's the region of North Nephletai became uh, International Galilee, in the very area where the Assyrians first attacked. God promises to cause a complete change of the situation the inhabitants will have done nothing to deserve this change. It is God's free gift. So we have uh, Assyria coming in to Zebulun and Nephletai, which in Jesus' time will be Galilee. And that is the area where Jesus' ministry will begin. Do we kind of see that being flipped on its head? That's something God loves to do. Uh, when he um, takes something that was probably thought of as worthless at one point or uh, something that uh, maybe would cause you know people of the nations to turn their nose or um, think lowly of God likes to use those kinds of things those kinds of people those kinds of ideas and use those to bring in his salvation and to bring through his promises uh, I mean we get that most evidently in the cross of of Jesus that was the torture device of the Romans something that was ugly something that was you know, marked with blood and agony, and that's the, the symbol we now uh, display everywhere and wear around our necks and uh, emblazon on our uh, shirts, and that becomes a message of hope. God loves doing things like this. So this land that was, in a sense, um, failed. Israel failed in keeping out enemies and failed um, and failed keeping out enemies because they failed following God's will. That enemies come in by this land, destroy this land. This land is where uh, the Christ will begin his ministry. That's pretty amazing. And we get that in the emphasis of darkness and light here. Uh, a theme that John's going to use to play on is uh, that's what Jesus is. He is the light to the world. He brings light to darkness. He is the light of man, even though man doesn't recognize it. Uh, Isaiah is the originator, so to say, of of that concept that John that John pulls from. Uh, we get in verse 2 that in deep darkness, and that's a very powerful description, it describes the feeling of people who have long been prisoners in a foreign land, and they could see no possible hope ever again. These people had uh, not only suffered at the hands of the Assyrians, but I mean, go back before. I mean, the, the Assyrians are just part of the long line of uh, uh, captors that are constantly uh, assailing and threatening and persecuting Israel. They kind of forever live in the deep darkness uh, because they don't join themselves to their Savior. And so, uh, but, but Christ still becomes this light that comes in. Uh, skipping down to verse 4, um, we have the people experiencing en- enormous relief, uh, a heavy weight uh, being taken off of their shoulders. And you get kind of the same um, wording that you get in in Psalm 23, where you have the yoke of his burden, the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor. You have broken as on the day of Midian. Midian, another proper name that's going to be used, and is meant to um, remind readers of Judges chapter seven, verses fifteen through twenty-five specifically, but really the whole chapter. This is right after Gideon has. Kind of tested God to figure out if this is really Yahweh God speaking to him. And he, um, you know, starts working with God. And the first thing that God has him do is to free his people from um, the clutches of Midian. They have been, um, they have enslaved Israel for the past seven years. And so just kind of out of nowhere, God raises up another judge. And this is Gideon and and uses this judge to free them. Uh, Maybe you remember it. Possibly better, as um, you know, Gideon had twenty-two thousand men, and God says, "Nope, that's too many people. I don't want y'all to think that you're the reason that you overthrew Midian." And so God kind of gives him these certain things to do to uh, dwindle down his number, and he comes down to the three hundred men, and this three hundred men, uh, simply through the use of uh, blowing trumpets, uh, drive out this this enemy nation, and it was a wonderful surprise. And it was nothing that they uh, deserved, Uh, definitely didn't deserve it. And it's such a wonderful surprise that the nation apparently really remembered the story, the fact that you can just say, hey, remember the Midian people? uh, Oh, wow, yeah, that was such a great um, salvific moment in our history. And it's so important that Isaiah is going to bring it up two more times in his book, in chapter 10 and verse 26, and in chapter 60 and verse 6. So it's a big deal to Isaiah as well. Now, we get into verse, um, well, verse 5, we can look at this for a second, Uh, for every boot of the tramping warrior is in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. You get this idea that the soldiers are taking off their uh, weaponry, that they're laying down their armor, and uh, specifically their garments that they have been battling in that are bloodied, they're taking them off, they're rolling them up, and they're lighting them on fire. That's they have no more use for them. The battle is done. The battle is over. And so then you get into verse 6 and 7, and you get the real messianic thrust of the verse. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. That's just good Hebrew parallelism. It's when you get two lines that are pretty similar, and it's meant to emphasize certain things. So um, sometimes it, it stands in apposition. So it's um, for us. Uh, for to us a child is born, is meant to correlate to us a son, so it's a child who is specifically a son, and he's born in the sense that he is given to us. But you know the the physical born language is there, and it is meant to denote humanity, and that's probably a really important thing to for a a Jew to consider is that it's not an angel. It's not angel of the Lord, which has you know in the past been an entity which saves Israel, but this is actually a man. Uh, a man will be given, a, a a human child will be given, and this human child will be the Messiah. Will be the one to deliver them. Will be the one to have the government upon his shoulder. And that line and in verse seven, both really correlate to Colossians chapter one verses fifteen through twenty, where you get the the language of. Uh, authorities and dominions and rulers all being subjected to Jesus. Uh, that language is is pretty evident there. You get four really cool titles here also. Um, both, um, all, all four coming with kind of a a nice uh, adjective placed with it. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Um, and these are all kind of, maybe we could find counterparts to them in in New Testament readings. So the first one would be 1 Corinthians chapter 34, wonderful advisor. In 1 Corinthians 1.30 it says, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. God advises us. He is wisdom. Again, referring to Colossians chapter one. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 has a lot of language of Proverbs and specifically woman wisdom mentioned in Proverbs 1, chapter 1 through chapter 9. And so you get this, that that not only is Christ wisdom and it's through wisdom that everything is created, uh, but God is wisdom. Uh, Jesus Christ who became to us wisdom from God. That's pretty strong language. Our second descriptor of of the Messiah is an all-powerful God. In Philippians 4.13, although this verse is taken out of context often, it does still hold significance. For I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, This is in the context of Paul saying that he's content in whatever circumstances he comes to. Not that he's able to do anything he wants to, but that Christ gives him the strength to do whatever he needs to do. And this is a type of power that can only come from God. Being content is... uh, I think some people would argue, is a superpower. <laughs> uh, too often we become um, wanting. Uh, too often we become needy, and we're not willing to just sit with what we have and realize God has given us everything we need. Um, that is God's supply of power to us. The third descriptor is Father always uh, is is how one Translation reads, but yours might say everlasting Father, which is pretty much saying the same thing. We can kind of see that in, in John chapter 14, verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. I will come to him who loves me. I will draw near to him who draws near to me and he who loves me will be loved by my father, a father always. And lastly, uh, you could maybe see it as uh, Prince of Peace. Some other translations say uh, Commander Who Brings Peace. Uh, I guess it kind of has a a participle-type tone to it, so I guess that's why some people would translate that way. Either way, it's fine, but Prince of Peace is probably the one we're most familiar with in Philippians chapter 4 early on earlier on in the chapter uh, in verse 7 uh, really 4 through 8 is this whole section on on peace but verse 4 through 7 specifically speaks of uh, the god of peace and the peace of god which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus uh, he is calm he is the one sleeping in the lower deck while the storm is going on around the disciples and the disciples are panicking, Um, Christ is that peace. He is the one who can not only bring peace, but he is uh, the one peaceful, solid fixture that we can go to when everything else seems to be falling down around us. Some really cool adjectives here and naturally when we read these we uh, need to realize it's not talking about Yahweh. It is in direct reference to the Messiah. So these are really powerful descriptors. And these descriptors give a divine quality. So while at the beginning of this verse is talking about a child, it's talking about a son, it's talking about a human, there are divine qualities being given to him in the latter part of the verse. He is a wonderful counselor. He is mighty God. He is everlasting Father. All of these have connections in Isaiah in the New Testament as well. Uh, Lastly, in verse 7, we get, um, we'll read it one more time, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Um, What will bring the peace? It is the zeal of God, and that is something that cannot be quenched. And, and what is not being quenched? What is the zeal of Yahweh after? It is after rule, authority, power, but also peace. And those two things, uh, when in God's control, can actually go hand in hand. We don't have experience in that. Either we have. We have um, people in places of, of power and of government that want to rule and want to be in charge and want to have authority. Rarely have we seen someone. Uh, with all authority and all power, work and do everything they can to actually bring peace and then actually be successful in it. Those three things, uh, authority, uh, peace, and the ability to do both of those things, only come by God's hand, can only come through the zeal of the Lord. Hope this has been a good study. I pray that you're looking for ways to love and serve your neighbor in genuine and sincere ways. Peace and love.